Good morning. In case you were, didn't know or you were wondering, that song was written by Metallica. Thank you. I didn't plan that, but thank you. I know you're thinking it's a heavy metal band. Uh, They certainly are, and I'm a huge metal fan. I've got all their CDs and posters on my walls in the basement, and now you're thinking you're not a metal fan. (laughs) You'd be right. Metal and I are like oil and water. Uh, but Metallica did write this song. They devoted, uh, they d- deviated from their normal sound uh, because the writer James Hetfield, the lead singer for the band, uh, for Metallica, he decided to write this love song to his girlfriend. He said in an interview on MTV uh, that the song was about brotherly love. Uh, either way, my interpretation of the song is that compared to relationships, nothing else matters. Now, this is where we pause for a moment. For those of you that had on your bucket list to hear a song by Metallica in church on Sunday morning, you can check it off. Yeah, yes, I know. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about relationships. When it comes to the importance of relationships, it's God first, uh, spouse second, if you're married, children slash family third, and then your friends. And I wish it was that we all... Uh, lived as if nothing else mattered compared to our relationships, but that's just not true. There are times I've communicated to my wife in such a way that other things have mattered more than her. I've communicated to my children in such a way that other things have mattered more than them. And sometimes I've communicated to my friends in such a way that other things have mattered more than them as well. Today, I want to focus on friendships. In October, Pastor Damon is going to do a series about the family, and he'll address those issues But today I want you to think about those individuals that you call friends. As I was thinking about my friendships, I recalled my childhood friends. I grew up in River Air, and uh, in high school I hung around four guys mainly, uh, Joel Schwab, Nick Magus, Eddie Baker, and Randy Beckman. And if the name Beckman sounds familiar to you, it's because his parents are here, uh, Jim and Sandy Beckman, they're right there. And uh, his sister Jamie plays on the keyboard. And I did all kinds of stuff and hung out with these guys. And I spent a lot of time over at the Beckman household. They have a finished basement. And so I'd go over there and we'd watch movies and sporting events and and hang out and hang out with our friends and play board games. And I always had the ability to magically show up when it was dinner time at the Beckman household. And Sandy, being so gracious, would always offer me a plate. And Jim had to get a second job to pay for the food that she was offering me. And I was the oldest of the five of us, and so I got my driver's license first. And my first car was a Plymouth Horizon hatchback. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It it wasn't stylish, but you know, when you get your first car, it's not about style. It's from getting from point A to point B. Because up until that point, you were just on your bike, you know, doing a little bell. And so uh, we'd get, we all pile in this Plymouth Horizon hatchback, and we'd go all over town and, and just have fun. And one night, I was hanging out with Randy and Eddie. I don't know where Nick and Joe were. They couldn't make it that night. And we'd been hanging out in Alton, and we made it back to River Air, and we were on uh, Jerome Street in River Air, and my car died. The battery went out. And I said to Randy, I said, we're going to jump out. Eddie and I, we're going to push from the back, and uh, you get where the, the driver's seat, and you open it up, and uh, you steer us home. We're only two blocks from my house. 
And the section of Jerome we were on, it was flat, and then it turned on a different road and went downhill a little bit. So we're pushing the car, everything's going fine. Uh, Randy is standing outside the car, doors open, and as we come to this turn, he makes a hard left turn on the wheel. And then as we start to go down the hill, of course it picks up speed, and Randy forgets to jump in the car. And no lie, all three of us were watching like this. As the car begins to roll down the hill. You ever have those moments in life where everything gets in slow-mo? And you're like, this is not going to end well. I was having one of those moments. But because Randy cranked hard on the wheel to the left, instead of going just down the hill, of course, the car turned. It went up on the curb, and now it was in a front yard. It was heading toward these people's tree in the front yard. And now this moment went from bad to worse. Because I thought, how am I going to tell these people I decided to park my car in their tree in the front yard? What am I going to tell my mom and dad? I'm going to go to jail. And so as it went towards the tree, it began to slow down. And just before it got to the tree, just barely bumped it. No damage to my car, no damage to the tree. Now I know you're thinking, well, it was physics, Jeff, and it slowed it down. Physics, physics. The Lord looked down and said, this boy needs some help. And he sent an angel and slowed that car down. And so Randy, Eddie, and I went from, oh, no, to, yeah. Well, it wasn't that loud because it was the middle of the night. And so we, we carefully, we got the car and we, we backed it out and we took it home. In the end, my car ended up at home. And when it comes to your friendships, where are your friendships going to end up? Here's what it says in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen: Where there is no vision, the people perish. That verse can be applied to our relationships. You see, every relationship ends up somewhere but few relationships end up somewhere on purpose. This is important for our friendships because our friendships can make us or break us. If you want to know a person's character, examine who their friends are. So today we're going to be looking at four questions to help us do life better with our friends. The first question is this. Are there any friendships that need to be initiated? Solomon talked about the value of relationships in Ecclesiastes 4, 9-10. Here's what he said. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. I was talking with a couple guys in my youth group. No, I'm sorry, not my youth group, my small group. And these two guys, and I got their permission to share the story, they love to go golfing. And they were sharing this golf story, and it reminded me of this passage of Scripture. Uh, They were on this one golf course that they hadn't been on very often, and they're going along on their golf cart, and you have to go down this big hill and then take a left. And as they start to go down this hill, the passenger realizes they're going too fast. And if they keep going straight, they're going to run into a tree. So if he says to the driver, hey, slow down. But at this point, it's too late. And so the driver tries to make the hard left turn. As you can imagine, the golf cart goes up on two wheels, and then the passenger falls out. The driver falls out on top of him, and then the the golf cart rolls on the ankle of the passenger. Yeah. So the driver gets up, and he he lifts up the golf cart, and fortunately there's a bruised ankle, but nothing broken. And I thought, you know, that's the advantage of having friends. When one of your friends drives the golf cart on you, he can be there to pick it up (laughs) off of you. So that's why you got to have this. We're actually better together than separate. Now, when I was in school, they emphasized working independently. But my wife, who's been a teacher of 21 years, has shared with me many times that she'll have the students work together in groups of three or four. 
And she's noticed that their understanding of the material increases, their retention of the material lasts longer, their involvement in learning is greater, and it helps improve test scores. We are wired for relationships, which includes our friendships. Now, the key is that you have to initiate those friendships. Many times when I was hanging out with these friends that I talked about from the neighborhood, I was the one who made the phone call. And let me ask you this question. Is there an individual at church, at work, at school, in the neighborhood that you need to initiate a friendship with? This is exactly what Jesus did when he chose the 12 disciples. And here's what he says in Luke 6.13. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. One of my good friends here this morning is Jeff Johnson, and I actually met Jeff at a different church, and we got to know each other, seeing each other at church on a weekly basis, and after about a year of seeing each other, I, I said to him one day, I said, hey Jeff, I'd like to get together on a, on a weekly basis and, and look at God's Word, just kind of do a Bible study, get to know God better, and I didn't know Jeff that well, so it was a little bit of a risk for me. He didn't know me that well, so it was a little bit of a risk for him. But he said, sure, let's do that. And so we started to get together, and as we met and talked about God's Word, of course, we shared about our families and our life, and we got to know each other better, and we love talking Cardinal baseball. Just this last week when I saw Jeff in the Commons, I just, I just put my you know, hands up to my ear, and he knew to give me a call, which he did. And what I love about Jeff is he's just so real with me. You ever have those yes friends that when you call them, it's something like this? Man, I am just so angry. Do I have a right to be angry? And they're like, oh yeah, oh yeah. I want to punch a wall. Should I punch a wall? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And then you punch the wall, and then you're in the emergency room with the broken hand, thinking I shouldn't have listened to my yes friend. But Jeff's not like that. If my head gets too big, he's there to you know, burst the bubble. Says, it's all about Jesus, it's not about you. Those, those days where I'm having my lows, he says, it's really not that bad. It's going to be okay. He's just real. And I think, had I not taken the chance to initiate that friendship, had he not taken a chance to say, yeah, let's get together, I wouldn't have that friendship today. There might be some people in your life that if you'll just take a step, and it doesn't have to be a Bible study, it may be getting coffee, it may be going out to lunch, it may be going golf and just watch out for the golf cart. Um, whatever it is, it might be one of those things where you just initiate that. Question, is there a friendship you need to initiate? I want you to take some time this week and ask God if there's a friendship that you need to initiate. The second question is this. Is there a friendship that needs to be nurtured? I've been doing uh, youth ministry for over 20 years, most of the time full-time and other times uh, just as a sponsor. And after 20-plus years of working with students, what I haven't figured out is middle school girls. I haven't figured out middle school girls. And I'm kind of frightened because I've got a seven-year-old daughter who's eventually going to be a middle school girl. And it's been my discovery, my experience, that girls in general are more open about sharing their feelings about their friends than guys are. It's not that guys won't do that, but, but girls normally are like that. And so this is what happens in youth group a lot. I'll, I'll, I'll see a young lady, a middle school girl, and uh, she'll come with a friend, and we'll call the friend Mary Sue. And I'll say, it's good to see you and Mary Sue. And she'll say, oh yeah, we're best friends. And they'll talk about how great their friends there are. And they'll come week after week to youth group. And then one Wednesday, this always happens, I say, I see you, but I don't see Mary Sue. A serious look on her face. Oh, Mary Sue and I had a big fight. Sometimes it's about a guy. A lot of times it isn't. But we had a big fight, and we are so done. D-O-N-E. 
And I'm like, well, I'm sorry to hear that about you and Mary Sue. And so three weeks later, sure enough, she shows up with Mary Sue. And I'm like, hey, it's you and Mary Sue. And she's like, oh, we are best friends. We, we hugged it out. We cried it out. We said we're sorry. We are best friends forever. And I'm like, well, that is so good to hear that about you and Mary Sue. And then sure enough, not too many months later, I see you, but no Mary Sue. You know, and after a while, uh, I'm like, you, Mary Sue, woo, or boo? I, I, I don't know. I haven't filled out middle school girls. A lot of times when it comes to middle school girls in ministry, I'm like, rock, paper, scissors, Jesus. You know, that's, that's what I got to do a lot of times, you know. If you understand middle school better than I do, please come give me the insight. But what I appreciate is that these girls at the young age and all the emotions in middle school are trying to nurture their relationships. They're trying to work at it, even with all the bumps and bruises. And I want you to notice about your friendships. Your friendships don't work on autopilot. They have to be nurtured. Here's what it says in Galatians 5, 13 through 15. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. How do we nurture those relationships? Well, it says right there, we're to serve one another in love. I remember last October, uh, my family was moving from Alton to Godfrey, and I got a big 24-foot U-Haul truck, and I was going to need some guys to help me move the furniture. And I got six guys to help me move the furniture, and five of those six guys were all from this church. Guys that I knew. And I, I went to them and said, hey, on this date, I need to move my furniture. Would you be willing to, willing to show up? And to a man, they said, man, I could be there. And sure enough, they showed up, and, and, and we moved that furniture, and we got everything done. And I thought, man, these guys, they're my friends. They care about me because they were willing to serve. They just showed up, and it took about four hours to do all this. I said, man, they were willing to do that for me. How are you doing when it comes to serving your friends? The last part of that verse talks about the dangers of devouring each other. It starts with a critical spirit. Anybody can find the faults of someone else. We all know this. Your friends have some glaring area in their lives, and so do you, and so do I. Are you going to spend time being critical or being encouragement? Sometimes we choose to be critical to the point that our friendship is damaged. Which leads to the third question. What friendship needs to be restored? Let's talk about this for a minute. Because in the real world, if someone has really wronged you, you were hurt and wounded you deeply, you may not want to get close to them. You may be filled with pain and fear, and you just don't want to go there because the idea of confrontation paralyzes you. When I lived in nebraska and i served as a youth pastor in south sioux city nebraska every summer i'd go to camp like i went to camp uh this year uh took 30 students was really excited we got seventh place out of eight teams go go white yeah go white yes i i told the guys in charge i just don't want to get eighth place and we didn't so i was pretty happy with that 
And so in Nebraska, I would go to camp all the time. Uh, they had their camps separated, so I would do a week of junior high camp, then I'd do a week of senior high camp, and I also helped at kids' camp. So uh, three weeks every year, I'd be going to camp. And when you go to camp, you meet other youth pastors and other youth sponsors. And I met this one youth sponsor uh, at camp, and his name's Kevin Fox. He still lives in uh, Nebraska, and we became good friends. And over the years, we developed our friendship. He lived in Lincoln. I lived in South Sioux, so we talked on the phone a lot. And eventually, when I was going through a time of transition, I moved down to Lincoln. My family, we moved down to Lincoln, and we started attending his church. And for the first three or four months, I mean, it was really good being there with him and his family. But after about three or four months, it wasn't anything with the Fox family. It was just, I wasn't clicking with that church. My family, we just weren't clicking. And I went to him, and I said, you know, things, things aren't working out here. And we're going to go to this other church in town. And he knew the other church. He knew the people. There. He had a lot of friends there. And so he said, man, I understand. And so when I went to this other church, while well, he said he understood, he didn't really. He was upset. And he's saying, man, that's, that's something small to be upset. He's going to a different church. Think about some of the friendships that you don't have anymore and some of the issues that caused you to break up those friendships. When you think back at it, you're like, man, some of those things were just, they were small. They really didn't matter, and yet we don't have a friendship anymore. And so I was at this church, this new church, for several months, and he only lived seven minutes from my house, but we hardly saw each other. We hardly talked. And eventually we moved from Nebraska to Illinois, and I let him know. I said, hey, we're moving. And he wished me well, but he didn't really talk to me. And after being here for a couple years, I was just struggling. I was like, Lord, I don't know where to go with this relationship. It, we were good friends, and now we're not, and I don't know what to do. And he called me, and he said, hey, Jeff, I just wanted to apologize for the way I behaved. And I, I needed to apologize as well, but I, I didn't have the courage to do that at the time, and Kevin did. He was willing to work at restoring that friendship. So let me ask you, is there a friendship that needs to be restored in your life? You might be thinking, but, but they're the ones who hurt me and dropped the ball. It's on them. Here's what the scripture says, and it's, it's not this next, I'm sorry, it is this next scripture, I apologize. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's the clincher. Maybe this makes you angry when you hear about that, but as followers of Christ, you don't have a right to hold a grudge. You don't. You gave up that right when you said yes to Jesus and received his grace and forgiveness. Now we know that forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting, but part of the responsibility is on you. You can't control someone else's response, but you can go to that person and try to restore the relationship. In Romans 12, 17 and 18, and this is the one that is on the screen, it says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. Here's my question. Is the ball in your court right now? Have you done everything you can do to restore that relationship? And maybe the honest answer is yes. You know, Jeff, I went to them, we talked it out, they kind of gave me a defensive response, they kind of, you know, gave me the stiff arm, and the ball's in their court. Okay. But a lot of times I've discovered in my own life, and maybe in your own, that you really haven't done everything you can do to restore the relationship. That you're upset, there's pride involved, there's selfishness, your defenses have gone up, and you're like, you know, I'm not going to go there. God is calling us to go there. 
to do our best to live at peace with everyone as we can. God calls us to forgive and do our part to live at peace with one another. So kind of here's a quick recap of the first three questions. Is there a friendship that needs to be initiated? Is there a friendship that needs to be nurtured? Is there a friendship that needs to be restored? And the final question, which is one of the toughest, is there a friendship that needs to be severed? Now hear me out. Well, I have friends that have their quirks, their idiosyncrasies, etc., that get on our nerves, and we have our quirks that get on our friends' nerves. I'm not talking about severing a friendship over that. But the Scripture is very clear on this. 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. What kind of company corrupts good character? Bad. Bad company. The saying is true, you are who you run with. When I was in middle school, I was running with some different guys, not the guys I mentioned earlier. And I was running with these couple guys, and they were always wanting to push the edge. They always wanted to try to do something a little dangerous or a little bit illegal. And I, I was kind of, what are we doing here? And I remember uh, one night, uh, one of them came to me and said, hey, my mom's going to the mall, and she can drop the three of us off at Target. And we go into Target, uh, we're going we're gonna to try to steal something. Each of us are going to try to steal something. And you're thinking, now that's just a dumb idea, Jeff. I was in middle school. Raise your hand if you know any middle schooler whose brain is fully developed. <laughs> Come on. We know that. Don't get too cocky, high schoolers. Your brain's not fully developed till you're 25, so you got some work. So anyway, we get to Target, and we walk in, and they're like, okay, now we're just going to go in different aisles and try not to be too obvious and just grab something small, put it in your pocket, and walk out. And it, it's just like you see in the movies. I, as I'm going to this aisle, it's like I've got an angel and a demon on my shoulder, and the angel's like, don't do this. This is a bad idea. And the demon's like, yeah, you live on the edge because you love metal. You know, and, and kind of back and forth, you know. And I'm wrestling, and, and I'm walking back and forth. And at first, I'm like, how am I going to fit a Monopoly box in my shirt? It's just, I don't think this is going to work. And uh, finally, I find something small. I can't remember what it was. And I know they've got those cameras in the ceiling, but I'm thinking they can't look at all of them at the same time. And maybe I can turn and real quick. And I'm there pacing back and forth. And the angel, thankfully, wins out. I'm like, I can't do it. I'm sweating. And so I walk out of the store. And not too long later, they walk out of the store and they, they didn't steal anything either. And I was thankful for that, but I realized here are two guys I don't need to be spending any more time with because they're always wanting to push the envelope on doing something wrong and I'm eventually going to get in trouble with them. And so, in essence, I had to sever that relationship. And I, I simply, they would call me after that three or four times, you want to do something? I'd say, no, I don't want to get together. And after that, they kind of quit calling me. So my question is, who are you running with? Are they drawing you closer to Christ or farther away? Maybe you're thinking that we're supposed to love everybody, and we are. We are supposed to love everybody. But love doesn't mean get caught up in immoral behavior. It doesn't mean putting ourselves in situations and conversations that cause our heart to become callous to God. The Scripture doesn't hold any punches when it comes to these kind of friendships. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 5.11. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but a sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. I want to pause here for a moment and just look at this scripture. Now they're talking about followers in Christ. Certainly everyone here probably has some friends 
who don't follow Christ. And maybe they say and do some crazy things, but you kind of expect it because they're not following Christ. But you have to be willing to draw a line with your friends who don't follow Christ. Say, hey, there's some things you do I'm just I'm not comfortable doing. But that's not what it's talking about here. There's some deception going on here. People who claim to be brothers and sisters in Christ. You know the people that come at Christmas and Easter only, that we call them Christers? You know that? And if you ask them if they're Christians, they say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But when you observe their life outside of Christmas and Easter, nothing in their life points to Christ, and you're like, I don't understand. And not only that, uh, there, there are times, you know, when people come to church, it doesn't make you a Christian. You know that. Just walking in this church doesn't make you a Christian any more than walking in McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Okay? <laughs> we know that. So there might be some people that you see week in and week out here, but then you know them outside of here, and you're like, man, there's nothing in your life out there that's really pointing towards Christ. Now, all through the Scripture, it talks about us as Christians, as brothers and sisters of Christ, to love one another, encourage one another, bear with each other, pray for one another, forgive one another. But the Holy Spirit, through Paul, makes an exception here. He says, with these folks... That's not to be the case. Individuals who claim to be followers of Christ but are openly living in rebellion towards God. If you can advance this, thank you. Not only are you not to associate with them, but you're not even to eat with them. That sounds kind of harsh. Not even to eat with them? Not even supposed to eat with them. So how does this play out in your life? Well, maybe you've got a friend at work that lacks integrity. Either redefine that relationship or seven it. And you're thinking, wait a minute, I work with a person. But not every person you work with is your friend. There's some people you see at work and your acquaintances and your coworkers, but you're not friends. If there's a a person at work that's lacking integrity, wanting to cut corners, and they want you to cut corners, you have to redefine that relationship. Say, I'm not willing to do that. Or maybe you need to give the stiff arm and say, hey, I can't go there. Maybe you've got friends that put you in tempting situations. Either redefine that relationship or sever it. Maybe you've got some brother or sister in Christ friends. They say they're brother or sister in Christ. But whenever you spend time with them, you're doing things you shouldn't be doing. You're saying things you shouldn't be saying. You're going places you shouldn't be going. You're carrying on. And the next day you kind of regret spending time with them. It's hard. But those are the relationships that you have to redefine or sever. Ladies, Maybe when you spend time with some of your other lady friends, they're always bad-mouthing their husbands. And it's having a negative effect on how you view your marriage. Either redefine the relationship or sever it. Same thing, guys. Are you spending time with other guys, guy friends, and all they do is trash talk their wives and speak in dismissive tones about women in general? Either redefine that relationship or sever it. I'm not trying to be purposely harsh here, I'm repeating what the scriptures tell us to do. And the reason is, over the years of working with teenagers, I've seen scores of students walk away from their relationship with Christ because they started spending time with the wrong friends. Sometimes, if you want to get back into church, you think, what will my family think? And what will my friends think? Sometimes some of our relationships with our friends keep us from Christ. I wanted to close with the thought that I had earlier, and it's this. Every relationship ends up somewhere, but few relationships end up somewhere on purpose.
as the band comes, I want you to take a few moments to evaluate your friendships and see which friendships you need to initiate, which ones you need to nurture, which ones need to be restored, and possibly which ones need to be severed. Could you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, I thank you for the friends that you send our way, the friends that make a huge impact in our lives, the friends that help us up when we fall down and encourage us in the difficult times, that keep it real with us, O oh God. And Lord, there might be some friends, friendships that need to be initiated, and I pray that you'll give people uh, this morning the courage to initiate that friendship. Others that need to be nurtured, maybe they haven't spent time together, and they need to nurture the relationship to take the tough step of restoring a relationship that's been hurt. And if need be, give them even greater courage to take the even tougher step of severing a relationship that's drawing them away from you. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Prayer teams will be up here when the band is done. If you have needs, things you need to pray about, you can just come forward. Thank you.